The Old Testament reading is taken from Exodus, chapter 32, verses 11 to 14. This can be found in the Church Bibles on page 91 and in the large print version on page 135. But Moses sought the favour of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. The New Testament reading is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. You will find this in the Church Bibles on page 1174 and in the large print Bibles on page 1860. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Maggie, thank you very much indeed. <clears throat> Shall we pray together? Most gracious and loving Father, we are your sons and daughters, and your Spirit dwells within us. Lord, your Spirit dwells within us so that we might speak to you in prayer. 
Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts more fully this morning, Lord, so that the wonders of your grace become the very breath of our souls. And this we ask for the sake of your dear Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. I wonder if you can remember your first experience of prayer. My first experience of prayer actually happened in this church, and yet I had no inkling that it was taking place. I was simply not aware of it. Yet that day when I wandered into the back of church, had godly folk whom I did not know and who did not know me, had godly folk not prayed for the salvation of my soul, I wouldn't be standing here today. But I am, and I do so as a witness to the power of believers' prayer in St. Saviour's. But what exactly, what exactly is the power of prayer? What exactly is the nature and the purpose of prayer? The example that Maggie read for us very beautifully from Exodus 32 is a very good starting point. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. I think that's a stunning picture of an answer to intercessory prayer. Mediation between God and human beings. But what exactly do we mean by intercession? And what form should mediating with God take? <clears throat> well, a little bit of history now. From about the 12th century onwards, there was a polarization in the attitude to prayer. The more obvious spiritual folk, people like nuns and monks, well, they were seen as a bit superior in terms of prayer to ordinary folk. A life away, detached from society, to concentrate solely on God was higher. It was a higher life than the active material world. And I suppose to some extent we've still got that emphasis today in the wider church. Not so much as mutually exclusive, but as different sides of the same spiritual coin. And while we still may have habits... They're not the coarse, brown, surge, prickly ones of the Middle Ages. You've still got one, have you, Rutten? Yes, well, I should take it down to the clothes bank if I were you. Uh, yet, how we intercede and mediate with God really varies. It varies an awful lot, and it depends on how we are put together spiritually. Some Christians like to use all the senses in prayer so that things like Images, symbols, candles, our lovely stained glass window, those sort of things help, help us to remember the creative as well as the redemptive work of God. Augustine of Hippo said this about these type of prayers. <laughs> Often prayer consists more in groans than in words, more in tears than in speech. But God collects our tears. Our groaning isn't hidden from him who created all things by his word. 
and who has no need of human words. Others of us see God as, well, perhaps less knowable, beyond any form of conceptualization, often called the way of the unknowing. We are always praying when we are doing our duty and turning it into work for God. Then, of course, there's the more intellectual approach to prayer, and here the emphasis on, is on knowing God and knowing his will for our life. Julian of Norwich said, this is the meaning of prayer, that we should see what he does and pray that it should be done. And I suppose that another approach is the more charismatic approach, where we are more open to feelings and a greater awareness of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is the, river, <coughs> is the riverbed through which the Spirit's life-giving, re-energizing waters stream, said Michael Ramsey, who was one of our Archbishops of Canterbury. Well, I don't know, you may identify with one or you may identify with all these approaches to prayer. The important thing is that they're all different chapters in the same book of prayer. And in a large church fellowship like ours, it's that rich diversity of spirituality that nourishes and grows our faith as a community of believers. The Bible, of course, is full of prayers. Nearly 50 lengthy prayers and hundreds and hundreds of shorter ones. But the dominant image in the Bible is conversation with God. Conversations that are spoken, cried out in anguish, but always with three elements. The elements of speaking, of waiting, and of listening. Take, take Abraham's prayer for Sodom. He uses ordinary persuasive speech. David, David talks about crying out to God, crying out to God, and receiving an answer. Isaiah, when he called the people to repent, reminds them of the conversation to which they can return. Isaiah 30 says, whether you turn to the right or left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. He calls them back to a conversation with God. And of course, Jesus uses the same intimate nature of prayer. Jesus, of course, addressed all his prayers to Abba, Father. And he taught his disciples and he teaches us to follow suit. Jesus' Father, his Father, is also our Father. That extraordinary, intimate prayer relationship that Jesus enjoyed with the Father is through his death and resurrection open to his followers and to us. You remember what he says to Mary Magdalene, <clears throat> I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So we might decide that prayer is intimate conversation, interceding with God to mediate on behalf of humankind. Well, yes and no. Thinking back to those early days in St. Saviour's, I can remember being a bit confused at first by the language and the terminology of prayer. I mean, when we prayed for somebody who was sick, was that intercession or was it petition? 
when we thanked God for the beauty of creation, was that adoration or was it thanksgiving? When later in small groups somebody prayed in tongues, was that praise or was it penitence? When business worries kept me awake at night so I would walk downstairs in the middle of the night and moan at the stars, was that even prayer? The answer for me came in the shape of a real man of prayer, the Reverend John Skinner. And I can see some heads nodding, our, one of our early incumbents. John sat me down one day and he explained that praying wasn't the same as prayer. Yes, John said, daily scripture reading was a good way to begin the day prayerfully. Yes, he said, coming to church regularly on a Sunday to pray together to seek God's attention. That was praying too. Yes, John said, praying in home groups, that was good for my spiritual health. But that wasn't all there was to prayer. Prayer was more. Prayer was also waking in the presence of God, no matter where I was or what I was doing. Prayer was being rooted and fed by God's Spirit in here so that when I went out there, I would be fully alert to whatever was happening or whomever was in front of me. Prayer, John said, and prayer, our curate Malcolm Brown told me also, was prayer was when I was fully charged and enjoying the tremendous gift of being alive. As a great 13th century mystic put it, the day of my spiritual awakening was the day I saw and knew I saw all things in God and God in all things. Prayer, John and Malcolm and many other folk taught me, was nothing less than being fused in union with God through the resurrection life of Christ, whatever I was doing, wherever I happened to be. Reflecting on this experience now, I realized this was an epiphany moment for me. So that all the different ways there are to pray, extempore, liturgical, adoration, the intercessional, praise and penitence, in a way, they're, sort of, they're a bit like Joseph's cloak of many different bits and pieces and colors. They're all very different, but they're all stitched together so that united as one, they become transformational. They become kingdom-building means of grace through which our Heavenly Father gains access both to us and to those who are formed and fashioned and saved by our prayers. There, there have been occasions when Sometimes prayer has completely overtaken me when I have felt utterly swamped by the overwhelming presence of God's Spirit. And there have been other occasions when in prayer meetings I've struggled to know if it was right to demand particular outcomes from God. Time when words seemed futile before an all-knowing, all-seeing deity. Those early days here in St. Saviour's taught me that prayer is more about 
accepting God's invitation to a loving encounter, responding to his echo, his indwelling spirit, rather, rather than any action I initiate off my own bat. As it says in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. I think those early days here in St. Savers show me that my part in our church prayer life was more about consent than initiative. It was more about consent than initiative. That praying and prayer had nothing to do with what I attempt, but everything to do with what God might do in me. Well, since those early days, St. Savers has seen some changes. Some of us may recall sermons from the pulpit, hard wooden pews, even a strip of waste ground out there where the church centre is. I can see a few heads nodding. <laughs> and now, guys, we've got more changes to embrace. Fresh young faces, more contemporary worship, a rejigged church interior. New ways to reach out with the unchanging gospel of Christ to a fresh generation. I'm sure you're as excited about them as I am. <clears throat> but these changes, the, the coffee bar, the food and refreshments, video notices, these changes are what newcomers will experience visually. What they won't so readily see, but I hope well, what they will come to experience, is the unseen but not unfelt prayer life, the heartbeat of St. Savers, the heartbeat of this church. And guys, it's a prayer life that is built on a tradition of mighty prayer warriors whose intercessions and mediations have sustained us as a fellowship through good times and bad. And it's that prayer life, and only that prayer life, only that prayer life, that will empower these changes and transform lives into souls for kingdom glory. That is our calling. That is our mission. That is our purpose. Unceasing prayer that is vibrant, alive, electrifying, grounded in trust and adoration, and filled with a joyful hope of a kingdom to come promise. One word of warning. There is a danger, though, in doing what humans, being, humans do so well, separating things into compartments. The spirit from the flesh, the sacred from the secular, the church from the world, the old ways of doing things from the new. And sometimes it's a bit of a surprise to discover that God doesn't make those distinctions. Yes, we meet here on Sundays because saying our prayers together rem reminds us of whom we are better than when we say them alone. But it's not the only place where we should expect to encounter God in prayer. In Scripture, people encountered God under shady oak trees, on riverbanks, on the tops of mountains, on the high seas, and in long stretches of barren wilderness. And when in the Bible people wanted to know more about God, the Son of God, tells them to pay attention to the lilies in the field. 
birds in the air, to women needing bread, and to workers lining up for their pay. And around God's world, there are people who also pray to him in languages I shall never speak and whose names I shall never know. Prayer, ladies and gentlemen, encompasses all creation. It knows no boundaries. It has no cultural or racial, racial barriers. According to the Talmud, every blade of grass has its own angel bending over it and praying, grow, grow. Well, I have no say about what angels pray for, nor was I around when the foundations of the earth were laid. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> Just looks like it. <laughs> I'll see you afterwards. But I suppose, I suppose just like Job, I feel very, I identify with Job because, I mean, I can't bind up the chains of the Pleiades. I can't loose the cords of Orion. I've no idea where mountain goats birth, much less the ordinances of heaven. But I am in conversation with somebody who does know all these things. Somebody who, that evening, when I walked in off the street, when I walked into St. Saviour's, responded in love to the silent prayers of intercessors and mediators from the pews, and whose grace thus outpoured turned my life round. And it's that same someone who longs for us, longs for us to use the power of prayer unceasingly to spread his gospel of love, so that through the power of prayer, through the power of prayer, that love might ransom, might heal, might restore, and might forgive. If love is the greatest force in the world, and prayer the mightiest force, if love is the greatest force in the world, and prayer the mightiest force, when we enter into prayer in love, we are working with a power that can surely change the world. Amen. Perhaps the band could come and join me up here. Paul, thank you ever so much. That was full of many shafts of light and many uh, revealing personal insights, um, far more than I at least could absorb in just sort of listening to it once. Uh, it will be available on the church website to listen to. I'd encourage you to go and listen to it because I think there were just many many, many dimensions of prayer, many, many insights into prayer there which, uh, which may be of help. Um, so uh, do, do that. What we're going to do now is, and we've got, we've got some lovely time just uh, ahead of us now, uh, is to just try and enter into a little bit some dimensions of, of prayer and how, it, uh, how we can be caught up in it. <clears throat>